listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So, uh, welcome, right? So we continue our summer series that we just started last week, Look Who's Talking, and we're looking at um, parables and at other stories, particularly in the Gospels, and we're asking the question, what else could this mean? So generally, you have the idea that Scripture can be read and then reread and read again, and that there's always kind of something to learn, and depending on whose perspective you take in the story, there might be something else to learn. Well, this is a great, great example, or maybe I could call it a great non-example. So you've heard the phrase learning by example, yes? But have you ever heard the phrase learning by non-example? Maybe, maybe not as much. So this is what we're going to title today's sermon, learning by non-example. So my father used to say to me a lot when I was young, Robbie, are you listening to me? And I'd be like, yeah, dad, I hear you. And he said, I didn't ask if you heard me. I asked if you were listening. Now, what my dad is doing by parsing those words out is he's saying, I'm not interested in whether or not the small little bones in your inner ear are vibrating at the right frequency as to whether or not you can hear. But are you listening means are you paying attention? Are you understanding? And do you intend to comply with what I'm saying? Like, that's what he meant. And he would also say this. This is another kind of Bob proverb here. He would say, you can all, every situation is a learning situation. Like every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. Sometimes you can learn what to do, and sometimes you can learn what not to do. And I think uh, when we hear Jesus kind of teaching us through the Gospels, and particularly through his parables, we have to ask the question, is this trying to teach us what to do, or is this trying to teach us what not to do? Because if we get that question wrong, we can be totally on the wrong page, right? So is this an example of what Jesus is saying the kingdom is like? Or is this an example of what Jesus is saying the kingdom is not like? That's that's a really big difference. So in the children's sermon that we just heard from Lexis, which I love every time I, I get to hear, as she's talking about patience, her first example was not an example of patience. Her first example was an example of impatience, right? You know, our lives get shaken up, and then sometimes instead of trying to calm down and, and, you know, practice some presence, we just open up things and, and it spews out, right? It gets onto everyone, right? So when she first opened the can, that was not an example of patience. The second example was an example of patience, And so as we come to this story about, and again, it is a parable, and as we said last week, parables are short bits of fiction, and Jesus tells us that they are fiction and that they're intended, interestingly enough, to conceal. Like he tells parables in order to conceal something, not in order to reveal something, or at least not initially, right? So by concealing it, it it requires us to lean in, to, to ask questions, to say, well, well, what about this? This is not how I thought that would happen. So that idea that Jesus just spoke in parables to make complex theological or spiritual things simple is, a, is itself a mistake, right? Jesus is not making things simple. Jesus is enticing us to learn. Jesus is 
um, creating in us a bit of curiosity. He's telling stories in ways where there are certain kind of twists and turns that, that begs for certain questions, right? Kind of creating in those, those questions. So when you hear this story, at least as it started, it might have sounded very familiar. Like Jesus is going to tell a parable and it actually says, and as Angela read to us, Jesus told this parable because he was about to get to Jerusalem and because the people were expecting the kingdom of God to come. Like that's why he's telling a parable. And so then he, he goes to tell the story of a man who's been appointed the new king of a, of a region and he, he goes away to kind of receive his appointment. But the people who, over whom he's going to be the king object. They're like, wait, wait, wait. We, we don't want that guy. Like, that would be horrible for us. We, he's, he's ruthless. He reaps where he doesn't sow. He takes what's not his. We don't want him. And so they, they went to try and stop it, but to no avail. So he calls 10 uh, slaves. So 10 slaves, and he gives each of them one uh, coin. And the coin's very valuable, about three months' wage. And then he leaves. So he comes back, and the first one has turned the one coin into 10. And he's like, man, that is great. Like, we're going we're gonna to promote you. We're going to put you in charge of some stuff. And then the second one has turned his one coin into five. He's like, that's also not bad, not bad, right? We're going to put you in, in charge of some stuff. And then this, this third one says, well, here, I have your coin. I buried it. I know you're ruthless. I know you take what's not yours. You reap where you don't sow. You're, you're a tough guy. And he goes, well, at the very least, you should have put it in the bank. Then I could have made some interest, right? I could have made some money, you idiot, right? He says, now take the one coin he has and give it to the guy who made 10. And they're like, but he already has 10. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's how the kingdom works. To those who have, more will be given. And to those who don't have, what little bit they do have will be taken away. Kind of like an inverse Robin Hood, right? Not robbing from the rich to give to the poor, but robbing from the poor to give to the rich. Now, the, the story just got darker, right? And darker. And then it ends, which, you know, where we said, thanks be to God. <laughs> it ends with, with, with the king saying, and now for the rest of them. It's like we almost forgot there were more of them, right? Because there were 10 people who had gotten coins. We've only heard about three of them, right? We heard about the guy who made 10, the guy who made five, and the guy that just had one. What about the other seven? What happened to them? Where, where are they? And what about the rest of those who were kind of protesting the very fact that this guy was going to be appointed king in the first place? He says, for those who didn't want me, bring them here and kill them in my presence. And that's how the story ends. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, guess, and we can do a little show of hands, that this isn't the first time you've heard this story, right? The story of, of the pounds or the story of the talents, Right. And I'm, I'm going to guess again and say you've heard interpretations that go something like this. That God wants us to be good stewards of things. And that God gives us things. And as we're good stewards of these things, uh, he will reward us. So if God has given you a, the talent to sing, then you should sing. And if you do sing, God will bless you. You'll be a better singer. If God has given you the talent 
to serve or to greet or to lead or to think or to teach. Whatever, whatever your gifts and talents are, if you use them, they'll be blessed and grow. And if you don't, you'll, you'll experience some kind of physical or spiritual or emotional atrophy and you'll just lose what you have, right? And that's the way the kingdom works. The problem with that is that that makes God into this kind of ruthless king. The king that no one wants. The king that only uh, rewards those who do things for him. As though the kingdom of God is operating on this kind of same quid pro quo system that the rest of the world operates on. Like, you do something for me and I'll do something for you. And if I can do something for somebody powerful, all the better. Because then they have the resources to you know, really make my life better. But I think we might be misreading that altogether. I think that this story might not be an example of what the kingdom of God is like, but it might be a non-example, like Lexus's first example of non-patience or impatience, right? I think this might be that. So when we think about the way in which kingdoms work throughout all of Scripture, right? From the time of Pharaoh to the time of the Israelites' kings to the time of Caesar, right, in the, in the days when Jesus was born. There's a way in which the world works, like Pharaoh's and like Caesar's, and even like the kings of Israel, often, for that matter, that are not like the way in which the kingdom of God works. That the kingdom of God is actually a very different system. It's a very different way of being in the world. When we want Jesus to be Lord, that doesn't mean we want Jesus to be Caesar, right? And he'll, he'll just be a more kinder, more benevolent dictator. No, that's, that's not what he's actually offering us. He's offering us something altogether different. So in 1 Samuel, um, the Hebrews say, we need a king. And so... And a king is going to take, take their sons and send them off to war. A king, a king is going to take their daughters and, and add to his, his um, harem. Like, this, is, this, is, this would be awful for them. Like, a king is the last thing these people need. It's back to the people and like, look, you don't need a king. But we want a king. Everybody else has a king. Why shouldn't we have a king? Go back to God and tell him we want a king. And so this goes back and forth a few times. To eventually God says, all right, I'm going to give you what you asked for. But just so you know, this is what's going to happen. Things are going to go bad for you. And then if you fast forward in the story, we see king after king after king, both in Israel and later after the kingdom divided into two, the southern kingdom, Judah, were exactly as God said they would be. They collected the wealth. They collected the power. They collected the military. They taxed the people. And people suffered from the fact that they had those types of kings. Kings that demand things from their people. Kings that take things from their people. Like kings that uh, reap where they don't, don't sow. Kings that are ruthless. Like in that parable, everyone, even the guy who started off with the one coin and made the ten, it wasn't that he made it for himself. It belonged to the king. And the guy who had made five, that belonged to the king. Right. Everything belonged to the king. He's mad at the third guy who didn't invest his money because he's like, hey, I could have at least gotten interest right in the bank. Like like dummy. If you if you knew that I was bad, you should have behaved differently. So this this story, this parable, it's right on the heels in the Gospel of Luke of the telling of Zacchaeus, a tax collector who in that story ends up 
paying back all the money to the people that he had taken. That is not typically how tax collectors work. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> right? Typically, you don't get back the stuff that was taken. It gets used elsewhere. That's how the system normally works. And then the next story, we, get this, we go from Zacchaeus to this story about this type of king, right, to what we call the triumphal entry. That's the very next passage of Scripture. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Remember, he says, I'm telling this parable because, or Luke is telling us, Jesus told this parable because he was about to get to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he shows them what the kingdom of God looks like. And what the kingdom of God looks like is nothing like that parable. What the kingdom of God looks like is the leader riding in on a donkey, not a war horse. Is people kind of shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is like, man, you guys make me cry. Not because I'm blessed by what you're saying, but because I hear in what you're saying this kind of rebellious, um, revolutionary, uh, might makes right kind of Machiavellian. I mean, Jesus didn't say that, but that's what he meant. Right. The sense that we are going to overcome Rome by being like Rome, but just a better version of Rome. And he goes, no, that's not how it works. We're not going to overcome Rome. Right. We don't overcome the world by being like the world. We we overcome the world by being different. And so he rides in on his donkey and he comes and he does meet his enemies. He meets those over them, except unlike the parable where he kills those who don't want to um, serve in his kingdom, he dies for those who doesn't want to serve in his kingdom. That's the God we serve. Our king is not the king who comes and kills his enemies. Our king is the king who dies for his enemies. As Paul tells Romans, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. Like, not after we had confessed our sins or professed our faith, but while we were enemies of God, Christ dies for us. And this is the, this is the story that I think we're to learn. So Jesus is a great teacher, for sure. We just need to be good students. And we don't want to make the mistake of having a non-example presented to us and then interpreting it as an example. That would be like if the, if the kids in the children's sermon took, took um, Lexus's you know, shaking up of the can and said, yeah, when I get upset, I just need to let it go. You know, watch out. You, you know, you broke my Legos. What, you know, that's how we, you know, she mentioned like, you know, being on I-4. I almost fell there. Did you see that? Um, like being on I-4 and right, just letting it out, you know, saying all the swear words, you know, right? Show, showing all the different uh, gang symbols and hand, hand signs that you have to everybody else on the road. Yeah, I was trying to, sorry, forgive me. Um, yeah, so no, we, we don't. I mean, I think this, the, the children, right, were smart enough to understand that that was a non-example. Yeah? I just think we need, we need to do the same. 
So there is an Old Testament passage. It's in the lectionary for today. We didn't read it. But it's the story of, of Elijah passing his mantle on to Elisha. And the story of the prophets through First and Second Kings is a story that's running completely alternative to the story of the kings themselves. So in Hebrew, the kings is a single scroll. And so it wasn't like first or second, it's just kings. And one of my favorite um, Old Testament scholars says that the, the title of kings should end with a question mark. Like, kings? <laughs> because it's a story of failure, right? You know, king starts with Solomon and there's a single kingdom and they're really wealthy. And after we leave that, it, immediately after Solomon, it divides into two. So this kind of great divorce and there's you know, multiple kingdoms. And then they just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's kind of like the parable here. Um, the story of the kings is like this story, this parable that Jesus tells. It, it starts off bad and just gets worse from there. Right. And so he's actually taking from the poor to give to the rich. And people are completely overtaxed. They're worshiping other gods. They're, they're doing everything kind of wrong. And they end up with their kingdom being destroyed. And what even a small remnant that kind of limped along for a few more generations, they too got destroyed and taken into exile. So the second kings ends with the temple being destroyed, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, the, the one prophet who was kind of speaking up and saying what's right gets kidnapped and taken back to Egypt, which is where the slavery started from in the first place. I mean, it is, it is a tragedy. However, in the midst of that tragedy, kings, <laughs> is another story. It, so if the kings, again, here is the non-example. The prophets is the example. The prophets tell a story of succession, of faithfulness to God, of caring for people, not abusing people, right? Of reaching out, not, not together, right? Not to accumulate resource, but to care, right? So from, from Samuel to Nathan and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the rest, right? Elijah and Elisha, the two big ones here. So right in the middle of the story, if you read all of Kings together, Halfway through is 2 Kings 2. That's halfway through the story. And that's the story where Elijah kind of passes the mantle to uh, Elisha. It's like a relay. It's passing the baton. And I think the Christian faith is like that. The Christian faith is, is not a sprint. It's not even a marathon, really. It's some other type of race. Because it's not even a race that we run as individuals. It's a race that we run as a team. And we just happen to be the current runners who have received the baton from somebody before and they received it from somebody before them and somebody before them. And we can pray to God that we too might be faithful so that we too can hand the baton on to another generation and they'll hand it on to more yet, right? To our children and to our children's children and their children and their children, right? And it will be this long story of faithfulness. Not so much that we've been conformed to the world, but that we've been transformed by the very spirit who formed Christ in Mary might also form us into the image of Christ. Paul uh, says this when he's writing to the Galatians, and this is, this is part of the, the lectionary reading for today. <clears throat> the, the parable that I chose is not, but you'll forgive me for that. But this, this is Paul writing to Galatians. This is one of 
to, to the church in Galatia, or churches in Galatia. This is one of Paul's earliest, earliest writings, one of the first New Testament books to be written. And he's saying this, and what he, I think he's saying here is if the parable that Jesus told was a parable of learning by non-example, Paul is giving us not a parable, but a very straightforward didactic lesson. And it's not a lesson in what not to do. It is just a straightforward lesson on what to do. And he says this. This is Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1 and then jump down to verse 13. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Let's just pause there just for a second. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Think about that, right? That I'm, I'm not free just so I can be free. I'm free so that now I can serve. He says, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You, you will love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication and impurity, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, fractions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yet I think it's all those things that are like that king in that parable. But here's, here's what he says. He says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, and this is exactly what the children are learning in their lesson. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Amen? And I think that's exactly what we can learn. Look who's talking, right? Here, we have to pay attention that it is Jesus who's talking. And Jesus is offering us another way to be human, another way to be in this world. And it, it's not the get all you can and, you know, stoke your ambition and whoever dies with the most money and the most toys wins, right? But it's this life of, of love and this life of sacrifice and this life of care that doesn't, that doesn't march to the beat of the typical drum. That's what we're being called to, right? It's that life. It's this life. It's the life of the table. It's the life of grace and mercy and forgiveness which is part of the reason why we come every week to remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. So now I invite us to come, to come and pray, to come and fellowship, to come and receive this life from God.
We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.